Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR. And today I'm actually talking to my business partner, Karen Moran. Hi, Karen. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really, really good. Thank you. Yeah. And um, we're actually just talking to each other today, aren't we? Just we are. <laughs> rather than talking to uh, people who have disrupted HR. But of course, we're going to give examples of what it's looking like in, in the real world. And today we're going to talk about new ways of approaching talent management. So talent management, because I think we've put so much effort into this in HR, but I think our focus is kind of a little bit wrong, don't you? It's like we kind of, it's not for the want of trying, is it? No, it's Um, not. But I think when we look at what we've been trying to do with talent management, it's been things like oh, let's get an absolute definition of what future talent looks like. So we've developed our competency models, our competency frameworks, where we list, you know, 144 behavioral indicators and contraindicators. And of course, the reality is, is that this model of the superhero leader who can tick all of these competencies off like it's competency bingo just perpetuates this myth that the leader needs to be bigger, stronger, more knowledgeable, more technically competent than anybody else, have all the answers. Whereas we know, of course, that leaders are human beings, that they are fallible, they're going to have strengths and weaknesses. And it's actually about how do they compensate for those weaknesses through their team? Um, How do they generate um, the ideas and answers from their team rather than always being the one that has the answers and so on? And of course, the other thing is that they're really complicated and confusing these competency frameworks. Um, So actually, this kind of idea that we perpetuate with that, I think, is is just a bit of a waste of energy. I remember uh, interviewing somebody uh, at the BBC with another leader and he was so busy looking at the competency framework <laughs> yeah. that he filled the form. Fill the form out. He didn't even make eye contact with the person he was interviewing. You know, it was like, oh, we've got to got to follow the competencies. Um, so I think that's one of the areas where we've perhaps got our focus slightly mm, wrong. Definitely. And then the other thing I think for one one of a, an area where we've kind of misplaced our efforts is this idea of categorizing talent. You know, when we get asked. Yeah. All right, well, let's look at and analyzing the bench strength of the organization. And we do our nine box grids and we get managers into a room and make them put their people into one of nine boxes with a Mm -hmm. potential and a performance axis. I mean, you and I have spent months months getting these blooming grids. It's it's like, so what's 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 what does potential mean? (laughs) They're high performing and low potential. Where do I put them? Where do I put them? And then we get this thing where they they kind of put a smattering into the top right, don't they? The high potentials, high performers. And you kind of look at it and you think, really? Well, you know, those people and you're thinking, 
Really? Yeah, really? <laughs> really? You're sure about that? Um, and then you've got this huge mass of people who were in the middle box. Do you remember yeah. when we used to do them on PowerPoint slides and you couldn't fit all the names into the middle box? Um, and then you get these few people in the bottom left who are apparently have no, no potential for, for anything <laughs> no potential for anything ever um, and really bad performers and you kind of say so why are they still in the organization why haven't yeah. you dealt with them and yeah. then overnight they kind of oh, I've really well, they're not that bad <laughs> yeah. yeah they're not that bad I rethought it and maybe they're kind of middling potential um so Can we have um a sort it. of like a 2a and a to be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we kind of make it even more complicated? Yeah. And of course, the reality is, is what we end up with is a completed grid, but almost no movement. And you know, it's then you kind of get a leader who says, "Oh, I'm I'm recruiting. Can you can you show me the people who are high potential?" It's like, not yet. We haven't finished yeah, our annual talent review calibration yet. Pointless. Pointless. Um, so yeah, I think that we've kind of we we mean well with our talent efforts. We do, but it just becomes all about the process yeah. instead of just having better conversations about our people. And actually, I mean, the, the other thing is the high potential programs. Oh, God, yeah. um, oh gosh, and uh, you know what's what? Why is it that they don't work? I mean, I think there is some research actually yeah. that sh- that said this is something like seventy three percent of yeah. high potential programs don't work. Yeah, they don't deliver any value return on investment. And they're costly, aren't they? They are. And I think the problem is, obviously, we've got the the person who's deciding who the high potentials are. Um, We have our kind of our natural bias around that, about whether or not they are high potential. Um, And then I think, you know, we're sort of spreading our bets too thin, aren't we? We're kind of putting over-focusing on a really tiny population Um, And then, of course, it's just so divisive, isn't it? Because the manager's kind of reluctant (laughs) to talk about who's in the high potential program because they don't want to annoy the rest of the team. Yeah. And then it gets Uh, out, doesn't it? You yeah. know, it gets out that there's a high potential program hanging yeah. around and am I on it? Am I on it? Am you I know, it? and then they're no, all in not. a panic. No, you're not on it. You're not on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can always remember as well, managers who used to say they were, pre- maybe they couldn't give them a salary rise or there wasn't a role for them to go into. And it was a way of kind of just keeping them a bit happier. So yeah. it's like, if I, I might be able to hold on to them a bit longer or they'll stop moaning if I can, oh, I've got you on this Amazing high potential program. <laughs> Every high potential program I've read uh, run used to be like the kiss of death for the leader. You know, yeah. they immediately become really low performing, or they'll, or they would leave, or they, uh, they decide that they wouldn't want to get promoted. It was just really weird. It was just sort of like, as I say, it was like the kiss of death for for leaders. And and one of the things I think, you know, when we look at our ability to assess potential and performance, which we know is subject to rater bias, all the work that Marcus Buckingham did in that area, brilliant work looking at rater bias. I think it's kind of meaningless, isn't it? You know, yeah. potential is something that we know is contextual. It's Absolutely. you know, it depends on so many other factors. And uh, so we've kind of got this, you know, these high potentials who aren't actually potentially high potential. Um, and then we're investing all this money in them. And we know that it's hugely divisive and demotivating for the ones who aren't on it. And also raises their expectations as well, doesn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. And then they kind of going, well, what, what have you got planned for yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. And then get annoyed and leave because it isn't immediate. Right. So that's what, what kind of yeah. thing is wrong yes. with the traditional talent management. Let's have a look at what HR teams are doing differently in this space. So do you want to kick off with something yeah, that you I was seeing? thinking about the, you were talking earlier about the kind of competency bingo. And, <laughs> you know, I've been guilty of creating some of those competency brain works um but i think what i'm loving what i love seeing at the moment is that we've got organizations and some of them are very kind of traditional or large organizations who are actually saying right we are just going to focus on what we want leaders to do rather than who they should be so back to your point earlier about expecting this kind of superhero perfect Mm -hmm. leader none of us are going to be that but if we can say to a leader we just want you to do these things. We don't care how you do it, do it in your own personality, your own style. But this, we think this is really important for our people. So we've got, um, for example, I think it's Microsoft who have their, their kind of three, uh, we want you to create clarity. We want you to generate energy and we want you to deliver success. So say that again, clarity, create clarity, generate energy, deliver success. So, so powerful, so simple, easy to remember, and actually could be delivered in a whole raft of different ways, couldn't it? Whether you're an introvert, whether you deliver it through your team rather than you personally. Yeah. You know, it's it's this you say it's a subtle thing. Instead of saying you must be a great communicator, because actually that's so subjective, is ultimately what is it we want them to achieve? What do we want them to deliver? Yeah, I think. And the other one, our favorite is the SAP. Oh, so yeah. they have their uh, we expect three things of our leaders. We expect you to coach your team, show appreciation and lead with trust. Again, it's that's very powerful. You can remember it. It's very easy to remember um, and much more likely to have an impact rather than kind of reams of kind of competency frameworks. Yeah. So I've got one as well. The thing that I think um, I really like, and it addresses your point about the high potentials, is instead of placing all your money and all your investment into very, very few people, is broadening your sense sense of what talent looks like and mm. and, then, and this isn't the same as going oh everyone's a star because we know that they're not but ultimately talent management should be about helping everybody achieve yeah their full potential yeah. or at least working towards that full potential and i think we're seeing it being done in a kind of couple of ways really first of all is this so-called growth mindset so a bit of hr um speak but this idea that it moves this it's not just that the people who want to get promoted are being developed and growing and curious and interested in learning but it's the whole organization and so a couple of examples you've got a Deutsche Bank and they had they positioned their learning and development in this lovely mantra of what will you learn today so it was this kind of sense that we're all growing we're all curious and it doesn't mean that you're going on a learning and development program no it could be that you're reading you're reading an article or you've just watched a ted talk or you've just had a conversation with some with a colleague who's helped you to do something so it's about shrinking it down but making it accessible making it something that yeah what will you learn today is is a yeah. great i think a great idea and the other one i love is microsoft 
you mentioned uh, them in terms of the outcomes, but they also have this uh, movement of saying we want to move from being know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. So I love that. I think yeah. the growth mindset, it's about, you know, let's let's make sure we're focused on the learning rather than the accumulation of, of knowledge that we keep to ourselves. Um, and then the other way that companies are doing it, in addition to creating a sense of a growth mindset that is embedded across the organization, is also about how do we reduce bias so we know that we tend to with succession planning we tend to think about the people who are mini me's you know we tend to look for the people who look and sound like us and um so there's a couple of ways that uh that we've seen this being done recently in talent management in nice simple ways i think is axa so they encourage that when they're hiring, so when managers are hiring, they're required to actively look for difference. So skill sets or experiences that will add to the team rather than fit in with the team. And I like that. And, and then the other one I'll call out is Nestle. Um, and they have said, look, we're not going to have a starting point of talent discussions of tell us who your high potentials are, because we know that what you're doing immediately is excluding a number of really potentially really good people. Mm. So at Nestle, the talent conversations have a starting point of everybody is ready to do something different. So it just helps to kind of, as a manager, you're opening your mind a bit to think about each individual and where they might uh, want to go or where they might want to get an even deeper specialism. It's just opening that conversation up. So just a couple of simple yeah. ways. Yeah, I think it, that really makes me think about, if you think about sometimes within the HR function, we can often have these COEs where you might have the talent management function that's very separate to learning and development. And actually, we should be now combining it so that we're just thinking about how can we help our people learn new skills and be ready that when jobs come up that they're interested in, they they can apply for them themselves. You know, they're they're ready. Um, I think I really like that approach. Whereas I think in the past, particularly when I've looked after talent management, it's been this over-focus on just you know, probably 5% of the organization. Yeah. It's such a waste of time and resource. Yeah. But I like this idea of this kind of, and we're seeing this in other areas as well, which is a subject for another podcast probably, but this blending, instead of these very narrow um, roles that, you know, yeah. I focus on talent, I focus on performance, I focus on learning, I focus on reward. Yeah. And instead, this kind of blending of, of some together. of those. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So then I guess the, the the area we haven't talked about is is what to do instead of the kind of the annual talent processes, you know, the kind of the nine box grids. And, yeah. And then the um, bun fight that goes afterwards, you know, where yeah. everybody gets in a room and. Yeah. And, oh, it's just awful. Yeah, because I think days, we, we know. know that it is actually still important for we do want leaders to talk about their people. We don't want them to kind of control their careers, but we want them to have good conversations um particularly and also to it, find out what what else you know what's going on in the rest of the organization yeah. that might provide opportunity absolutely you know if you're only doing that once a year it's crazy isn't it yeah it is so we're seeing this kind of much more process light um agile so we we talk about western union so they have what they call talking talent so the peers of leaders get together and just talk about people in their team and talk about you know who might be 
be ready for a move and you know oh I didn't realize you've got a vacancy over there I might have someone that's interested in that so they're sharing a bit more in terms of talent and thinking about career experiences that people they might be able to offer for their people so that they can kind of take that next step up there is nothing more annoying than being with a leader when when you have a vacancy for a leader and then they say oh there's we're gonna have to go externally there's no one there's no one ready (laughs) if we'd have thought about this before and helped people be ready we wouldn't have to always go externally yeah, so that kind of little and often. Um, yeah, I lo- love the talking talent thing that they have at Western Union. I think it's you know it's this undocumented, just come along and have a chat. And as we know, yeah. you know from with our clients is that most leaders actually quite like talking about. They their do. People. They just don't want to do all the paperwork. And yeah, the and they don't want it record necessarily all recorded. I think yeah. that's the other thing is they yeah. kind of worry about having more honest conversations if they think that someone in HR is kind of reviewing it. <laughs> And the final trend that we're seeing uh, is that we talk about a lot is this employee owned, you know, it always makes me yes. laugh when you hear people say, you know, well, no one's had a career conversation with me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, how old are you? 12? It's like yeah. your career, you're a grown up, you know, what are you doing about your career development? And sometimes I think HR, you know, we get into this kind of let's provide them with career ladders and, and this sort of helping them beyond the point actually where you're encouraging them to own it for themselves. And I think that can be quite dangerous, Yeah, um, you know, so, so we're seeing this a lot and, and just, I suppose one example of that would be, I love Viacom's approach to mentoring and they were on the verge of setting up this very HR controlled process, heavy mentoring scheme and then COVID hit and it kind of just blew that all out the window. And so what they did was to set up something which was pop-up mentoring, which is that anyone anywhere can reach out and ask for a half hour Zoom call or a Teams call or a coffee or but it's in the hands of the employees. It's yeah. not something that is done to them. It's this kind of idea that we own our own career development. So just one example of that. And, and you know, we've got obviously plenty of others and the resources that we've got on disruptivehr.com yeah, um, or that. our club. But, you know, if you want to look into this in more detail, let us know. But the key thing is it's about this kind of how can you encourage this to be something that employees own for themselves. For themselves. But then, of course, we do want leaders to be interested in their people's yeah it's not um, a complete abdication of their responsibility yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and so and and so we often get asked the question how do we help our leaders do this stuff better yeah and and obviously we're not expecting leaders to be you know trained career counsellors it's not about that is it sometimes it's just about showing that they are interested that they're there to listen or coach or they just care about their the people in their team's careers Yeah. And I think there was a couple of things that we can do to help them. And I think, you know, let's caveat caveat all of this is that if you have people managers who actually went for promotion because they wanted the status or the pay or the progression, you know, it's not, 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 not necessarily being critical of them. They want to progress or they were the best technically, but they have no interest in leading people. Then it doesn't really matter what you do. You're always going to struggle to get this going well. But for those that are a bit interested or who genuinely perhaps lack confidence or lack understanding about how to do this, just giving them kind of conversation starter tips, um, little nudges 
that um, that we can give them in HR about things that they might try. We've got something called the Conversations Toolkit, which has mm-hmm. got uh, you know conversation starters, tips to help them with their career development. I think it's not overwhelming them, no. making this a big thing. Um, I think also we kind of we tend to measure compliance with career development. You know, have you done your nine box grid? Have you had your career conversation with the individual? But I would suggest using pulse surveys far more to spot where you've got the ones who are doing it well and the ones who perhaps aren't doing it quite so well. So using those pulse surveys and ask ask your people what the experience is like, um, and that will help you then sort of target where you can um, build your early adopters, where you can get them to share what they're doing and gradually move some of the, the, the less competent um, ones over to being better at it. And I think also just rewarding and recognizing the ones who are doing it well. You know, I think sometimes we've rewarded leaders for hanging on to their yeah, vegetable yeah, as opposed yeah. to letting them go and letting yeah. them fly and try new things. And, you know, we had somebody at the BBC who was phenomenal at that, was really great at actually saying, you know what, the best thing I can do as a leader is to help this person move on move and on. do something different. And we needed to we needed to recognize them more, I think. So exciting times for talent management, yes. um, uh, you know, just to kind of sum up, just to reiterate, you know, it's about focusing on what they should be doing rather than what they should be. So kind of you don't need those competency frameworks, especially not the perhaps overly complicated ones. Um, think about the outcomes you want from them as leaders in the talent management space. Um Moving away from high potentials to thinking about how can we refocus our efforts onto a kind of more general population, Um, getting rid of big annual talent processes to more process light, more agile methods, and encouraging it to be employee owned. Um, So thank you so much for listening today. And if you want to find out more, check out our website, disruptivehr.com. And if you go to the insights tab, there's loads of free materials on there. Um, So uh, plus, if you want to get into this in more detail, then you can always join the Disruptive HR Club. Um, I think that's about it for today. Good chatting to you, Karen. Yeah, good to talk to you too, as always. Lovely. Take care now. See you later. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.